Hi, welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Darren Kinlan, VP of Technology here at Fletch. With me each episode, Chris yeah. Wilder. Hey, Darren. It's been a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Managing partner of cybersecurity over at Harbinger Solutions Group now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So this week is kind of a special show. We're actually going to be covering a recap of 2023 and a look forward to see what might be in store for 2024. I'll tell you, it's been a <laughs> wild ride i mean yeah i'm not sure anyone could have predicted this to be honest i think wild is an interesting way to put it i think really the big thing that just kind of shifted that i've seen this year from previous years and believe me i go way back to the stone ages of this stuff you know we're really seeing kind of the coalescing of a lot of these nation states coming together kind of doing bigger more sophisticated joint type of attacks when I mean, you look at what happened to MGM I mean that was those those are two groups running around in there one did the data exfiltration the other one took out all the POS systems you know so we're seeing we're seeing a lot of cooperation amongst these guys and just groups that are popping up everywhere i mean black cat came out of nowhere i know they've caused all kinds of problems if they were the most improved best new player <laughs> Yeah, they'd be right there. <laughs> so I think it's just a natural evolution of the industry and using things like machine learning and AI and is really changing the way that the people are deploying campaigns and attacks and finding exploits and vulnerabilities. Yeah. So let's get into it. I mean, yeah. if we look at types of threats that we've been tracking, especially the major threats that have happened over the past 12 months, it's interesting to see how we had a pretty big spike leading up to July 4th weekend, it seems to have dipped down there. And now we're kind of in this steady state. How long it lasts, it's kind of remains to be seen at this point. But certainly things have got more stabilized in terms of the number of threats and issues. You mentioned almost like a nexus of all these different threat groups kind of uniting yeah, to launch common campaigns. So while the number of unique major threats might be going down, certainly the intensity seems to be ramping up, to your point, Chris. No, I agree. And and this is all very, very consistent with over the last year. And we could talk about this through, through the podcast, but just looking at the different types of threats, I was a little bit surprised because we saw the number of endpoint security vulnerabilities and, and, and the breaches against them specifically there's eight times more EPS attacks than really anything else. And the thing about that is there's so many more devices out there. But a lot of times there's a lot of stranded assets that a lot of companies don't even think about that they have to protect, like an energy meter, for example, or even just a weather sensor. You know, you can't compromise those. But yeah, so they're 8x more than we saw last year. And there were data breaches. There were about 170, 175 of them. So it's getting pretty nasty. It's a dangerous world. For so sure. Surprisingly, phishing took number three. They're always usually number one. Wow. That yeah. is interesting. I mean, we've seen that we're in kind of like this mini cycle. We'll see how long that lasts until, you know, maybe the tail end of Q1 next year. In terms of the activity that we've seen over the past week, it's certainly been quite large in terms of the number of discoveries of vulnerabilities and new threats. I would say a healthy number of them have gone mainstream versus are now emerging. But in the macro trend, it certainly is not noticeable or sizable or an outlier for the entire year. Like you said, it's kind of normal. Yeah, fair enough. So when we look at just the threats that have kind of emerged over the past week, we actually have a number of different vulnerabilities, some of which are 
SaaS hybrid on-prem products. Some of them are hardware related and some of them are operating system level related. First on our list is actually Atlassian revealing that they've got essentially four different vulnerabilities across their Bitbucket, Confluence, Jira platforms. Thankfully, if you are a cloud customer of Atlassian, all of those systems have been patched at this point. But if you are still using any of their products on-prem, now is kind of too late to patch, right? <laughs> Last week would have been when you'd want to have applied the patch at least, but it's pretty serious mainly because an attacker can achieve remote code execution very easily with any of these vulnerabilities at this point. Well, the other side of that too kind of goes back to, we've talked about this before, especially with Atlassian products is a lot of companies still want to post their email and post everything. And I just wish that companies would actually, from a security perspective, if you don't know much about it, which a lot of these companies don't, unfortunately, just use SaaS. It's it's so much easier. You just use a cloud product and you don't have to deal with, you know, having to wake up in the morning, have your coffee over. Oh my God, another vulnerability. One thing that with Atlassian Solutions, I just recently did a, a report and also working with a large private equity fund. And they were really trying to look at the kind of the security aspects of virtual data rooms, which Atlassian has Confluence, which is their VDR product. And it's really interesting that the VDR side of it has really decent encryption, but in terms of security and vulnerabilities and consistent patching and things like that, really not much. And none of these guys do a very good job of that. And you're putting your keys to the kingdom into something to do due diligence with. This is one of the things that so I advise my private equity guys and anybody that does acquisitions for a living, make sure that you have end-to-end -end security as opposed to just encryption. So for sure, yeah, important stuff. Yeah, moving on to our next vulnerability, Qualcomm actually released more details about an attack that was discovered by the Google Project Zero group back in October of this year. There were a number of different vulnerabilities at the chipset level within Qualcomm devices that, again, could allow an attacker to achieve remote code execution. I think what's most surprising is that even now we're like, two months later, and there's still very little detail about what the mechanisms that the attacker used to compromise these devices in limited targeted attacks. Therefore, applying patches is absolutely paramount. But the fact that there is still very little detail suggests that there's a high degree of risk that there will be additional targeted attacks along this particular avenue in the foreseeable future. I'm curious your thoughts here, Chris. Yeah. You know, when it comes to firmware vulnerabilities, it's not something you can easily fix, right? No, I mean, even throughout the entire year, with Fortinet and all, everybody else, they were all the all the hardware guys and all the guys who, you know, made hardware chips are no different. And in terms of kind of just, you think that you've got embedded security in these things, but they, these guys do find vulnerabilities in it. But they, you know, we noticed that Fortinet was having a hard time responding to the vulnerabilities in their hardware. It got to the point where the, the government actually came in and said, if you have this email gateway from these guys, just shut it off. It's, you know, so because they, they're not responding to it, but, you know, hardware's become and chips have become kind of a juicy attack vector. More of these groups, especially as we start seeing more and more nation states coming in more sophisticated and they're going to be going after these these difficult targets. Qualcomm is one of the leaders in, in IoT and obviously Androids, you know, their Snapdragon chips are are usually pretty good. But that's consistent with the data that we've got, you know, talking about endpoint security is 8x more likely to be breached 
than at the same point last year. But ooh wee, okay. I hope you know. I hope they get it done. They yeah. make a good product. They have a really good team. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it doesn't just affect this particular leading vendor, but also on a different topic, we found vulnerabilities dating back eleven years ago yeah. with Bluetooth. Apple and some Linux distributions are actually vulnerable to an attack that thankfully still requires some degree of local access for an attacker. But if you're within 50 feet of a device, you can potentially use this Bluetooth vulnerability to essentially take over the system remotely. This is pretty bad. It affects name brands that do have a really good track record in security. It's kind of surprising. I think a lot of people realize that Bluetooth is getting more and more complicated with every revision and it's harder and harder to secure. So a lot of people said Bluetooth is essential for using smart devices (laughs) nowadays. Well, this is the risk associated with all that functionality. If I have something on my phone that could create an asynchronous device with another device, (laughs) there's a vulnerability there. And it's not just me. This is really incredibly timely one. Um, and I really didn't think too much about it until, until we talked about this today. I was working with the family office. They're, they're going through a whole bunch of different legal proceedings. And you know what really, really rich people do is they sue everybody. And they're going through some really complicated legal proceedings. And they're trying to do modernization of the family office, You know, trying to upgrade their security uh, position and, and their portfolio. But the one thing that the, the, the mother was very concerned about was that she believed that her house was being booked. It was one of those things where we kind of started going through it and I did a bug scan on it and nothing there, but they couldn't figure out how their words were being turned against them in court. And they were specific words. And what was happening is I I looked at all their phones, um, noticed there was their Bluetooth was connecting to another Bluetooth device that they had no idea that was there. And apparently they were able to execute recording of the conversations. They were eavesdropping on them, definitely. And so, yeah, and, but it was, it was very real. And I thought, wow, this is kind of, you know, I've never seen this before. I've heard about it, but I've never seen about it. Obviously the, the fix was forget this device and never connect it again, but it was kind of scary. So yeah, little things like that. Bluetooth is, is really starting to become more and more of a juicy place for, for these guys to look for, for access. For sure. And even if vendors have higher security modes, for example, yeah. In this case, I think Apple released like their lockdown mode, which supposedly protects devices against sophisticated attacks. Yeah, it doesn't really work against this particular vulnerability. You know, the number one, you know, by 7X, you know, Windows attacks are still number one. Linux attacks are number two. And number three, as close number three is, is Android. That's where we're seeing a lot of the ingress vectors coming there. So for sure. Yeah, yeah, speaking of Android, next on our list is actually yet yeah. another <laughs> zero-day vulnerability fixed by Google within <laughs> the Android ecosystem as wow. of December. Yeah, this one's pretty nasty. Again, remote code execution, no user interaction required, and suddenly the device is effectively compromised. It is the season for patching for sure, more so than than before, simply because we've had critical after critical after critical vulnerability and the span, the time span that it's taken to discover these issues is now beyond years. We're going back a decade, if not more. 
it's been a crazy journey, 2023. Who knows what 2024 is going to be like? It's anything like 2023. I Like I told you in the green room, Derry, in our sophisticated studio, I think 2024 is going to be a tumultuous year. At this point, I, I'd like to open up a beer and bait shop and just go out in the country and sell beer and sell worms for bait. You know, that seems to be a, a much more interesting career option for me right now. No, it's, 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 you know, we just got to remain diligent. And I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. The advice that I give every security team and, you know, all the CISOs is really, you have to be more proactive about your patching, less enamored with things like trying to detect. For sure. I mean, that's, it's like the number one thing that any, any size organization can focus on. The hilarious thing is that over the holidays, there are even industries where they have to stop normal operations. They have to go through what's known as typically a blackout period, right? Retail or financial services. And that's precisely why attackers love to target during that time, because now suddenly you can't necessarily patch critical systems fast enough because you don't want to disrupt business operations. So this is a constant battle that we see time and time again between normal operations teams and cybersecurity teams. It's a tough balancing act for a lot of businesses for that reason. One of the things that happened last year, I thought it was a really interesting trend. And it typically, the industries that we're seeing get attacked, a big shift by about 1x, 1.5x in the number of attacks went up to government. Usually government would sit around three or four. The healthcare and financial services always wanted to. But this year was big attacks on government, about about 1.5x factor. So there's wow. a lot of them. So about 193 act breaches. So these are just breaches I'm talking about. And largely, I think, because of everything that we talked about before, you know, these groups coalescing together, putting their resources together and going out and they're and it's also partly to also things like the ha- what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening in Israel. So you're seeing a lot of these groups that are attacking governments and institutions. And these are not institutions like the post office. It's these are, you know, they're really going after things like DOD and Homeland Security and, and Border Patrol. So government came up. Number two was financial services and 93 active campaigns, breaches out there against financial mm-hmm. services. Number wow. three, I've never seen this is education. Really? Yeah, wow. we, saw, we saw some huge breaches this year in education. You know, look at Dallas, you look at LA, LAUISD, all ransomware. They're pretty vulnerable to phishing attacks there because they're normally not sophisticated users. I mean, my teachers were, were amazing, but uh, but they were never good on a computer. It's like my mother. Sure. And then then put in number four at, uh, you know, with healthcare, yeah, sitting around 67 breaches over the year, which I was surprised because it used to be that in healthcare, you're 2x more likely to be breached than any other industry. That's gone from number one to number four. That's kind of the more interesting trend I saw throughout the year, where the attacks are going. I kind of wonder, is there a particular industry that pays more? You would think that the attacker would go towards the easy money, right? So if you're targeting education, education typically doesn't have a major budget for these sorts of things. And if you're yeah. going after a large hospital chain, you'd think that they would have more money to pay for a breach of that sort. But it's interesting how we're not necessarily seeing that sort of alignment. You know what I mean? I think government is more apt to pay, especially really? if it's an attack on some something in critical infrastructure. You know, like, mm-hmm. a, I know they're not government, but, you know, Colonial Pipeline got ransomed twice this year. 
they just recently, this last one, I think they were asking for about 50. So critical infrastructure is really becoming, and that I put that almost hand to hand with government because mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of municipalities run, you know, electric companies and, you know, grid things. Sure. So I see that they, they're more apt to pay just to get the damn thing to go away. I just finished up a company brought in by their CEO as an oil and gas company. They got ransomware for about 50 million. Our guys got it down to hundred K. Wow. And the, cyber, and the insurance just paid it to make it go away. But but remember, we're talking this year too. You know, one of the big evolutions that we've seen, especially with ransomware, is not just I'll pay pay you to go away and give me my data back. It's then they come back again for another bite at the apple. So they're mm-hmm. double exploitation. The other side of that too, you know, we're also seeing these guys trying to get to what is the level that your insurance company will pay. I was thinking that's a little bit kind of crazy, but but it, it's working. <laughs> so, right. You know, yeah. you know, it's like well, bad guys are you know pretty clever. And then the new one that's kind of really evolving now are the groups that are saying, okay, you wouldn't pay us the ransomware, you won't buy your data back from us, but you didn't disclose. And now <laughs> that we have the, we have the new executive order, the you know the SEC that came out with you know, <laughs> cybersecurity disclosure requirements. It's four days, and so now they're reporting companies to the compliance bodies because they didn't report on time. <laughs> so it's you know wow. they're, they're getting smarter and smarter as people aren't paying. You know, our financial services, they'll they'll try to negotiate, they'll try to bargain out education. I don't think they know any any better. So they typically will rely on either a obviously an outsource provider to do the cybersecurity insurance side of it, or they'll rely to the on the FBI or something like that to help them out there. They usually don't have a lot of money, but the where where that money in education goes are through grants and being able to take money from the student loan program and get student loans against going to school. And then healthcare, obviously healthcare is a data trove. For sure. But an attacker reporting their victim to the SEC is just seems stranger than fiction, right? A lot of people were wondering, well, do the attackers now get SEC whistleblower protections? And it's like, no. (laughs) And every one of the CEOs that I work with that, that are going through the lovely ransomware process, every single one of them. First thing I'm asking is not so much, are you gonna pay the ransomware? Because that's usually what the first question I ask is. And then tell them why not to do it. Now it's, what do you have to disclose? What or do you have critical infrastructure? Do you sell to the government? So now it's really getting to the point where disclosure is actually the first thing you have to consider and start working on. I had a pension fund I was working, a very, very large pension fund in Europe. And they got hit with a ransomware due to a third party. So they didn't mm-hmm. do anything, but they, right. they were part of the blast radius. Within the first three weeks of this attack, they already spent twenty million on crisis communication. Wow! So they got way ahead of it. I couldn't believe it. I darn near fell out of my chair. But they got way ahead of it from a disclosure perspective. But the actual how do you how do you keep it from happening again? They they didn't do a very good job with that. So right. they got hit again. So yep, it's a perpetual learning process. Well, what what do you think are the interesting trends for twenty twenty four? If you had a crystal ball and could kind of see the future here any material changes from your perspective or likely businesses haven't learned much i think this is also an ongoing evolution of the industry but i think this year boards are really starting to pay more attention to what's going on in cybersecurity. a lot of times your typical CISO goes to the board and they say well you know this month we took care of twelve thousand vulnerabilities and there's only 7.9 million more to go. And that's really, that, that's the, the extent of most, you know, most CISOs than the board interaction. I mean, the, mm-hmm. 
one of my best buddies is a CISO at a very, very, very large company. And he's about lost his mind because he can't get an audience with a CEO. So I think cybersecurity will hopefully, I'm hoping, please be less viewed as a cost center and kind of make it more something. And I think as, as disclosure laws get more strict, cybersecurity is becoming more and more of a, a must have as opposed to just a another giant pain in the ass you have to go through. That's something I think is going to change. And I think that CEOs and boards are really, really going to have to focus on disclosure, 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 and, you know, disclose more. 2023 was really the year of, you know, Joe Sullivan kind of really did set an interesting milestone for, well, I don't know what it was, but it was <laughs> it's interesting. Well, milestone. personal accountability, <laughs> right? I mean, suddenly yeah, now decisions yeah. if you make on behalf of a company now we're reflecting sure. back personally which yeah. has everyone in the cybersecurity community thinking twice about, yeah. wow, this is not just affecting, you know, the firm that I represent, but myself as well. Yeah. But, you know, Chris, from your perspective, like any silver linings here, I mean, we're, we're just now in, I don't know, the third, second or third phase of the generative AI hype wave. I think yeah. we're starting to see some light about how the this tech could be potentially be used to make things a little bit easier from a cybersecurity standpoint, but do you think it's kind of too real to tell at this point? I don't know about silver lining, maybe bronze lining. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the upside is we're one year closer to actually quantum encryption becoming a reality. Downside is we're closer to quantum encryption becoming a reality. I think that's going to create a lot of a lot of havoc in the marketplace. I mean it's gonna it's gonna be a game changer, especially with data encryption. I think that's going to be something that, that'll be interesting. I think AI is changing a lot. I think the bots are going to be much more like the Borg, mm -hmm. assimilate the, to your 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 response and they respond to it. And so I think you're going to see AI getting faster and more prolific in that with the bad guys. Hopefully the good guys keep up on it and they're able to get past this AI as a marketing term. And I think though that from a silver lining though, I think companies are starting to realize that they have to correlate all the information they've got in the organization. They have to be able to look into every single investment that they've made and make it more like a symphony. I think companies are really starting to see cybersecurity as a strategic role in the company. Unfortunately, most CISOs aren't executive enough to be able to play upstream much. So they're their own worst, worst enemy. So silver lining, bronze lining, probably more patching, more proactive patching, more systems coming together. They want integrated systems. I think the platforms are going to do very, very well. I think 2024 can potentially be a very transformative year. Certainly a lot of promise, a lot of capabilities that are just now being showcased as to how to transform the way that people do and think about and handle cybersecurity. But if you think about the transformational shifts that have really impacted cybersecurity, right? When we shifted from either on-prem to managed data centers to cloud, that was a huge shift, right? Mm -hmm. But now we're talking about, you know, going from being entirely native to cloud, and now we're leveraging generative AI and other technologies. It'll be interesting to see if it's the same level of transformational shift or not. Yeah, the cloud is really, you know, the, the the CSPM, the cloud security posture management industry has, has created a whole new breed of vendors. You, know, you guys, mm -hmm. a whiz came out of nowhere. So companies are really spending a lot of time with the budgets in 2023. We typically saw the budgets remaining flat, but their boards would allow them to do a carve out to put whiz in because cloud was so, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. 
so you know they were using Wiz, and I think Wiz has a really good reputation for providing FOMO. So CISOs don't <laughs> want to be scared to death of missing out on on the Wiz opportunity. You know, you got guys like Tenable who acquired Emirtek. They're now moving very fast into the cloud security space, and I think it's going to pay off. It has to. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it trends further. I, I do have one more prediction. I, I have a 2024 yeah. prediction. Sure, go ahead. Navy will come back and beat Army for the first <laughs> time in four years <laughs> next year. Fair enough. We'll take side bets on that action. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I won't take awesome. any any bet on it. But <laughs> no, this has been this has been fun, Darian. This is really fun year. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. And yeah, to our audience, it's been a pleasure talking and tracking all these different crazy threats over the past year. Please stay tuned for future episodes. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, DM us at The Threat Show. Thanks again, and we will see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Have great holidays. Thank you for tuning into The Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss and the Threat Index. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats. 